This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hope you have a sensational weekend. Hope you'll have an even better day. Thanks so much for stopping here. Joining us this hour will be Senator Bill Cassidy in about nine minutes. And when he does, I got to talk to him about the news that's going to be happening today. Will there be a test vote on bipartisan legislation? And should there be a yes vote from at least 10 Republicans? What will this look like? Should it bother him that Senator Schumer is forcing this vote? I'll tell you, I watched him Sunday and it bothered him then. I wonder if it's done now. And we're going to be joined by Alex Conant. I was watching over the weekend uh, all these Republicans and Democrats speculate on where the House and Senate's going to go in 2022. But rather look big picture, I look small picture. I'm going to break down some of the bigger races in the set, on the Senate side and see if there's going to be enough momentum uh, and enough quality candidates for Republicans to take back the chamber they never should have lost. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Fabric, the easiest way to get affordable life insurance. Learn how to protect your family against the unexpected at meetfabric.com slash Brian. Number three. There's a 900% increase in COVID cases in the Rio Grande sector right now. He's now going to say it's dangerous to post something about a vaccine on Facebook, but it's not dangerous to let in hundreds of thousands of unvaccinated migrants into the country and then bus them to swing states. The vaccines and the variants. Please don't tell me you care about stopping the virus while you leave the southern border wide open with positive cases up 900% in the Rio Grande Valley alone, while at the same time mandating vaccines and perhaps soon demanding two-year-olds wear masks. Hey, Mr. President, you're not my nanny. You're not my doctor. I'll take over my health care from here. Number two. We refuse to be a hostage, to remain a hostage within a state of Texas. And I'm ready to be arrested. What do you do to a slave if you don't do with nothing but arrest them when they flee? We fled Texas, and if they want to arrest me, go ahead. I'm ready to be arrested. A slave because you don't want to vote for election rules? An embarrassment, and now a danger to their state and their party. That's how I characterize the Texas state reps infecting Washington, D.C., and themselves with COVID as they absurdly escape to Washington to escape Texas because they don't like the new election laws. Seems like the, their presence has turned into a super spreader event that has gone through the White House and Nancy Pelosi's office. Number one. Senator Paul, you do not know what you are talking about, quite frankly. And I want to say that officially. The gain-of-function research was going on in that lab, and NIH funded it. That is not... get away from it, and you are obfuscating the truth. I'm not obfuscating the truth. He is. That's exactly what he did. Fauci for Senator Rand Paul. Don't kid yourself by reading the coverage. This was a knockout. It's just a matter of time until Fauci hits the canvas. He can't handle what we're about to find out about the truth. So, so many people's heard uh, Dr. Fauci say, uh, lose his temper. Hmm, wonder why he's losing his temper all of a sudden. 
because we're not talking about Brad Pitt playing him on SNL or his bobblehead doll or get questions like, can I go out and can I go to school and do I have to wear a mask at the Nick game? When he gets some real questions about what he's been up to, he does not like it, especially when you hit him with facts. So I want you to hear the exchange a little bit at length, because if you watch the coverage and you're busy during the day like most of you are, you probably don't know the question he asked. Rand Paul was coming off a document reading up from 2011 and beyond that talked about the funding that he put to the Wuhan lab. Hundreds of thousands of dollars. Why we're doing that, I don't get. Why would give a dollar to China outside business practices? Makes no sense to me. But we didn't know any of this before the pandemic. It's all going to be exposed and hopefully stopped during and after the pandemic. But Anthony Fauci was funding gain-of-function research because he felt as though that was a good thing to find out about how virus would mutate. Well, it looks like they mutated right out of the lab and killed 600,000 Americans. Oops. I am not saying he's responsible. I'm not going to say any one individual is responsible unless it's proven that China did this on purpose, which I don't know if that will ever be possible. But did not come out and say, yeah, we funded this and it was dangerous, but it was worth it, and here's why. This is what he said. Cut one. Dr. Richard E. Bright, a molecular biologist from Rutgers, described this research in Wuhan as the Wuhan lab used NIH funding to construct novel chimeric SARS-related coronaviruses, the definition of -of gain-of-function research done entirely in Wuhan, for which there was supposed to be a federal pause. Dr. Fauci, knowing that it is a crime to lie to Congress, do you wish to retract your statement of May 11th where you claimed that the NIH never funded gain-of-function research in Wuhan? Senator Paul, I have never lied before the Congress, and I do not retract that statement. I totally resent the lie that you are now propagating, Senator. You are implying that what we did was responsible for the deaths of individual. I totally resent that. He keeps talking about gain of function. This has been evaluated multiple times by qualified people to not fall under the gain of function definition. I have not lied before Congress. I have never lied, certainly not before Congress. Case closed. Yeah, case closed because you had your own people investigate it, number one. Number two is people that know say it was absolutely happening. And you could lose your temper because you got caught. Josh Rogan, a great guest on our show from the Washington Post, tweeted this out after he watched it. And if you read his book, Chaos Under Heaven, you know he's talking about in detail what he knows a lot about. I don't think there's a better book out there about the U.S.-China relationship and what they're really up to. And it was going to be a great book before the pandemic. He wrote this, tweeted it out. Check it out. Hey, guys, Rand Paul was right and Fauci was wrong. The NIH was funding gain-of-function research in Wuhan, but the NIH pretended it didn't meet their gain-of-function definition to avoid their own oversight mechanism. Do you think a guy from the Washington Post is looking to help the ultimate libertarian conservative? No. But Josh Rogan has said this to us. He said it to to Joe Rogan on his podcast, worth listening to if you have a long drive. It's three hours. He couldn't believe the lack of curiosity among people at his network that he worked at, at his paper uh, that he's employed by. He didn't get it. Uh, Nor do I, but I'm used to not getting it. He couldn't believe it. And you see this with Glenn Greenwald, too, someone who's a a liberal columnist. 
He doesn't understand the lack of curiosity about it either. He doesn't understand the Russia investigation and the way they would do hell to pay for people like Adam Schiff. But yet they're to the left. And that's so rare uh, today. So these exchanges took place, but they never tell you what Rand Paul was reading from. They just let you hear Anthony Fauci get that shot in after they already shut off Rand Paul's microphone. So Rand Paul joined me on on primetime, which will be on tonight at 7 o'clock. So I asked him to expand on it because he only gets about five to seven minutes to talk to Anthony Fauci uh, in these hearings. Cut five. But this is sort of the problem we have. Fauci controls all the funding and the media is all on his side. And so you really, nobody questioned what I had said. They just broadcast that Fauci called me a liar, but he controls all the funding. So people are deathly afraid of him. Researchers will not speak out. Why have there not been other scientists? I get letters from scientists all the time. You can find them. They're very distrustful of what he's saying. They don't think he's making sense. They don't think he's reading the science accurately, but they're afraid to speak out because Many of them are university science, and they depend on NIH funds. And to cross him means it's the last money you'll ever get. So I want you to call. Uh, we're not going to get to phones until 45 after, but get on board now. one 408 When we come back, Senator Bill Cassidy, on the work he's done with Democrats on a bill that many think he should not sign. Back in a moment. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you would have had a chance to get the vaccine and prevent this, would you have taken the vaccine? So you'd have gone through this? I'd have gone through this, yes, sir. Don't shove it down my throat. That's what's local, state, federal administration is trying to do, is shove it down your throat. What are they shoving, the science? No, they're shoving the fact that that's their agenda. The agenda is to get you vaccinated. You know who Mr. Scalise is? I know who Steve Scalise is very well. 
Roe, who is a Republican, had not heard that Steve Scalise, the second-ranking House Republican in Congress, had stepped into the forefront yesterday as a vaccine proponent. We asked him to read the congressman's statement. He thinks it's safe and effective. And what's your reaction? Not proven. But does his opinion change yours? No, it does not. So that's the trouble of people who don't want to get vaccinated are having from people who want you to get vaccinated. People want to make their own choice. Senator Bill Cassidy joins us now. That was a Louisiana uh, citizen who we thought would be a good place for, to start, being that you're a doctor, Senator Bill Cassidy. Welcome back. Hey, Brian. Thank you for having me, man. Do you Thanks understand the sentiment of people not wanting to be told what to do? Absolutely. And so that's why I keep on recommending. <laughs> if someone has questions, go talk to their doctor. A nurse that they have a good relationship with, et cetera. The doctor, they you know, say, listen, you got risk factors. Your child took hepatitis B. Your child took uh, measles, monstrobella. You took measles, monstrobella, probably took chickenpox. This is just another vaccine. That trusted relationship is going to be better than some politician telling you to do something. Go to where you always have gone for your health advice. And, Senator, if you don't mind me saying, I think there is a direct link. Don't tell me you're concerned about my health. You're going to knock on my door. At the same time, leave the border wide open and have the number of COVID cases rise 900 percent. Many of these people get let into our country inexplicably and let out inside our country. Are you seeing this in Louisiana? Absolutely, we're seeing this. By the way, they're not getting vaccinated for COVID as best as I can figure out. Uh, But what we just saw in Louisiana is that there is... Uh, multiple cities in the region uh, have drop-offs at the bus station, uh, folks being released from custody. So I spoke to the director yesterday. He says, well, this has been going on for a long time. Uh, it's no difference. It's just that the latest numbers have been more than they usually have. All that tells me the border's not under control. People don't trust the government. If they don't trust the government on this, they may not trust them for something else. Unbelievable. Uh, I wish we can get somebody's attention. I don't care about the political argument. I want our border stopped. We can't let Canadians come in, but we can let every other country come in through the southern border <laughs> and overwhelm our border patrol. It makes no sense. You have a big day. You are leading, along with Senator Portman and others, a bipartisan effort to get infrastructure passed that is pure infrastructure. A lot of Republicans don't want you to do it. Because they say that you're going to get a simple reconciliation bill for everything you negotiated out jammed down America's throats in August or September. First off, are you ready with your bill to get a test vote today? Uh, Well, we're going to all vote no today because the bill is not ready. You can't vote for a bill that's not yet written. But we do think we'll be ready by maybe early next week, in which case we're ready to go. And by the way, I disagree with the logic. Uh, somehow this makes it easier to do the bigger reconciliation bill. If you think about it, what everybody wants, regardless of party, more roads, more bridges, better Internet, you name it. If you take that out and leave the rest, then I don't think the rest is as attractive for some Democrats. That's why Bernie has said he's going to oppose our bill. So he's going to oppose it. You need 10 Republicans for it. Now you're going to need 11 if he's going to oppose it. Uh, And I guess he just wants to do everything on simple reconciliation if he can get it passed. I want you to hear what Senator Portman said, who's working side by side with you. I'm not comfortable with with their legislation at all. Three point five trillion dollars, the largest tax increase in American history. Um, They are they are not linked and they cannot be linked. And uh, to President Biden's credit, he has said that they are not linked. They're totally separate. But they are linked because everything that you guys negotiated out, they're putting in their bill and more. Right. Oh, no, they're not putting whatever's in our bill is not in theirs. Now, if we fail, they'll fold it in. 
And if we fail and they fold it in, it makes it more likely to pass the other bill. On the other hand, our bill as a standalone will be independent of theirs. It will not be duplicated, if you will. And again, I think it gives the American people something to vote for. But I do think they should oppose the the $3.5 trillion. Uh, so I don't think there's any doubt they should have proposed it because it's not infrastructure. They are looking to weave in immigration reform, legalizing people here already, came here illegally. And they're looking to put in voting infrastructure, let alone human infrastructure, elder care, preschool, 60-year-old Medicare eligibility, as, as, well, as, um, uh, as well as paying for two years of college, junior college. This has nothing to do with that. But the, can, is there anything you could do to stop it? Absolutely. First, pass the real infrastructure bill so that when people look and say, hey, that's real infrastructure. This, this is a Democratic tax and spend wish list. It is not that which we want. We already got what we want. So I do think passing the real infrastructure bill is the best way to go forward if you want real infrastructure but also have a better argument against the tax and spend Democratic wish list. Well, um, I want you to hear what Lindsey Graham said will happen. He's pre- he's working with you on the bipartisan bill. Let's say you get it done. You're going to vote no today. You have just told us that because it's not done yet. So I want you to hear what Lindsey Graham says he'll do before he signs off on the $3.5 trillion. If we don't fight back as hard as we can, they're destroying the Senate as I speak. They're going to lead to an illegal immigrant invasion like we've never seen in the history of the country. So my idea is do anything and everything possible to stop this before it happens. Let the Democrats mm-hmm. know that if you pa- if you put illegal legalizing uh, illegal immigrants in the reconciliation bill, then we as Republicans will use everything available to us, including denying your quorum. And he says he'll walk out. Would you walk out and do what the Texas state legislature did and just leave? Absolutely. If they're going to try and make the biggest makeover of American society with no attempt to actually bring in Republicans to consider this, and therefore the people we represent, but just stick it to the American people, I agree with Lindsey. Time to do whatever you can. So that means you think the Texas legislature did the right thing by leaving? No, I think the Texas legislators, um, they went through a process in which they had the chance to have a bipartisan uh, consideration. There are actually Democrats that stayed behind and voted with the Republicans. They actually could fully participate in the process. In this case, there is no full participation at all, period, end of story. You're being totally excluded. And indeed, they're taking the rules and abusing the rules that are supposed to kind of be guardrails, abusing the rules uh, so as to achieve their ends. Um, That's actually not what happened in Texas, but that's what they're trying to do here. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Ro. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. uh, Could you tell me what's in the bill that you're close to uh, finishing? Uh, Well, the energy section is through. The energy section has a heck of a lot that's good for Louisiana. Um, uh, 
and there's also a resiliency section that will that will help flooding across the nation. My state's had some recent problems with flooding, so of course we're interested in that. Uh, and there's about $110 billion for roads and bridges. There's a lot in there that's kind of the ink is dry and it's going to happen if we pass this bill. And do you, and do you pay for it by raising taxes? No, we pay for it by uh, taking money that's previously been allocated for COVID, no longer needed. Uh, and uh, But we don't talk the Tax Cut and Jobs Act bill. We pay for it by other means. How close are you to being done? Well, we've got had a long meeting last night. We'll have another short meeting today. Uh, I think by Monday or early next week, we can be done. Uh, uh, but, you know, it always takes a little longer than you think, but that's our goal. Because uh, you're working across the aisle. Uh, and Bill Cassidy says, do it on its own and let the other one stand on its own. Senator Bill Cassidy, thanks so much. Look forward to talking to you again. Thanks, Ryan. You got it. Uh, Senator Bill Cassidy will sigh, say no today. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. It is a make or break week. You've got deadlines now for both the partisan and the bipartisan packages, the small package and the big package. Both of them are in the trillions of dollars. And what's so interesting here is I think a lot of us have been covering these packages as if they were an either or. Are you going to go with just Democrats or are you going to try for something bipartisanship? Now it could be both or neither. It's really a, a, a big gamble for the, for the Biden White House because it's not just even infrastructure, soft in, infrastructure. This is most of the Biden agenda that's on the line right here between these two packages. And if they pass, they're big achievements, historic, maybe uh, changing the relationship of government and its citizens. And if they fail, Biden is going to be in a significantly weakened position. So can you imagine with inflation going this high, you'd even recommend spending $3.5 trillion we don't have with debt at $33 trillion? That's exactly what they're proposing. And the $1 trillion that they're doing in a bipartisan way, there's a test vote for no reason from Senator Schumer today. The bill's not even done. Do you agree? that this is a make-or-break week or next week for the Biden agenda. Let's bring—that was Rick Klein of ABC. Let's bring another uh, expert that we've uh, managed to corral. Alex Conant uh, joins us now. Uh, Alex, thanks so much for joining us. Good morning. Thanks for having me back. Uh, No problem. Alex, first off, do you agree with Klein? I do. I mean, Rick, I know Rick Klein at ABC News very well. Uh, He's one of the best political analysts you'll you'll find anywhere— and, and he's absolutely right. I mean, the the time is running out for the Biden and Senate and congressional Democrats to pass their big agenda because in August, Congress leaves town. So they've only got two or three weeks here to pass these monster bills that they're going to get done. Otherwise, I think once you have the August recess and then if these lawmakers go home and they start feeling – they start hearing from their constituents, they start having those town halls, I think it gets a lot harder to get done, which is why you see Schumer – pushing to have this vote this afternoon, even though it's not at all clear that they have the votes to actually pass it at this point. Wow. So, uh, Alex, a couple of things. Do you believe, uh, and Alex, by the way, service communication director for Marco Rubio, that's when he first started coming on the show, but now since he's founded uh, and successfully uh, Firehouse Strategies. Uh, Alex, first off, from the Republican perspective, how do you think they benefit from doing a bipartisan bill knowing everything they negotiated out will be in a reconciliation bill almost the next day passed. 
Yeah, I mean, Brian, that is literally the trillion-dollar question in, in Washington, D.C. right now. I think clearly you see a lot of Senate Republicans who think – look, I think most Americans, I think most listeners here support most of the things that are in the infrastructure bill. We, we want better roads. We want better bridges. We want better tunnels. We want better airports. I mean this is stuff that Donald Trump was talking about that, that frankly, we couldn't get through the last Congress, uh, but that most Americans want. The question is how do you pay for it? And I'm glad to see that the Republicans are at the table trying to negotiate to make sure that taxes don't go up in order to pay for this. But instead, we find other ways you – know, we're able to pull money from other parts of the budget because clearly infrastructure is a priority. However, if the threat is then that they're going to pass this other $3 trillion bill, which I don't think you're going to see any Republican support, uh, you know, is that worth it? Or, or is it possible for Republicans to stop everything? I, it is so far, and I think this is all going to come to a head here in the next 24 to 72 hours – so far, you see a lot of Senate Republicans thinking that they can thread this needle and get the infrastructure bill through uh, and then you know, not support the larger package that is, that is unrelated to, to this hard infrastructure. Uh, you know, I'm rooting for them. You know, I think that it would probably be best for the country if we could have like a bipartisan infrastructure bill and then not do all this super liberal unrelated spending. Uh, but you know, elections have consequences. The Democrats have the majority, and they're going to certainly try their best to do both. So if you had a candidate, would you rather say, instead of saying, I walked away from the infrastructure bill because it was human infrastructure, voting infrastructure, immigration infrastructure, uh, daycare, uh, elder care, preschool being yeah. funded, junior college being funded, would you rather have a candidate that walked away from all of it, or would you rather have a candidate that says, I couldn't stop this, so I did this? Look, uh, if there is a bipartisan deal today that, uh, that, that, that represents Republican values, that is, it funds core governmental programs like infrastructure without raising taxes, you know, I would want my candidate to support that deal if it's a standalone deal. But if it gets, if it gets combined with this larger bill that's going to dramatically increase the deficit and the debt is not paid for and funds all these liberal priorities – I would not want to be associated with that. So, look, again, I think this is all going to come to a head in the next 24 to 72 hours, whether or not we can do just an infrastructure deal or if there's just no way to do the infrastructure deal, it all gets combined, in which case I think you're going to see virtually every Republican oppose it. Alex Conant is with us. He's with Firehouse Strategies, uh, or, uh, pretty much a uh, more of a conservative outfit. We understand the polling's wrong, but right now, oftentimes, especially in the la- even the pollsters admit it, even the last election, uh, they definitely underscored how much popularity Donald Trump actually had, uh, and they kind of missed in Arizona and other places. But we'll talk about that later. Uh, do you believe that Joe Biden actually has fifty-one percent approval rating? And if it's accurate, would you, if you're the Biden group, would you be? If you're a Democrat, would you be happy with that? Well, I think you have to take any poll with a huge grain of salt, uh, as you just said. It's it's modern polling is just incredibly inaccurate. There's a I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I think some of that is bias. Some I think some of it is just it's harder to reach people uh, in an age where you know people don't answer their phones because we all get all these robocalls all, all day long. And so you're not going to answer the phone if you don't know the num- the number. I think polling is harder. I don't I don't put a lot of stock into it. I'm sure the Biden team is sleeping better at night, knowing that they're that you know the, the, that that most polls say they're around 50, 50 plus percent. Uh, but look, they're going to find out on on election night next year in the midterms whether or not he's actually popular. I mean, if he's at 50 percent, the Democrats have a pretty good chance of maintaining their majorities. If he's closer to 40 percent, uh, they're going to get walloped. Well. They 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 say well you know uh, I think uh, Obama was at fifty five percent at this point, and you had Donald Trump at forty six percent. Yeah, 
I and, think and, you know at this point, I think Obama was in the you know in the '60s, and we all know what happened to him in his first midterms, where Republicans had historic gains. So, so you, yeah, I think yeah, you, you these believe, poll numbers right now are going to change a lot. You believe the House right now with CRT out there, with the mess the immigration plan is, with the problems he's having uh, with the vaccine. Uh, what we're seeing with uh, crime in this country, you think that the House is not a done deal yet for Republicans? Well, I don't think Republicans should take anything for granted. But that said, if we don't win the House next year, things have gone dramatically wrong, for, not just for the reasons you outlined, but historical precedent, the, the, the redistricting after the census last year, the fact that we only need to pick up three seats, uh, and, and the fact that a lot of these seats are seats that Trump won – um, or at least did very well in, uh, and, that, and that we should be able to win uh, handily next year. So, yes, Republicans should absolutely win the House majority. I am assuming that we will win them, um, but that doesn't mean that we can sleep on our laurels. I think we still need to go out and fight these races district by district because, like, because the Democrats are going to raise an unbelievable amount of money, uh, and, and they're going to be well-funded. And so if you know our candidates are probably going to be underfunded vis-a-vis the Democrats, and clearly the media is going to be working against our candidates and a lot of these candidates in a lot of these races. Uh, so we, we face headwinds, even though uh, there's a lot in our favor. Dems are optimistic they can hold the Senate. Uh, and here's what they're saying. Four Senate Democrat incumbents are up for re-election in swing states next year, making them prime targets for Republicans. They are in New Hampshire, Nevada, Arizona, and Georgia. Let's look in New Hampshire. Many Republicans, maybe you, Alex, believe this. If they're to win, Chris Sununu, the sitting governor, has to run. Is he actually popular enough to win? Do you think he will run? Yes, yes, and yes. Uh, you know, I know Governor Sununu fairly well. Um, you know, as you know, I've spent a lot of time in New Hampshire uh, on various presidential campaigns, including Marco Rubio's in 2016. It's it's a great state. It's a state that should be a Republican state. We have a Republican governor there, Governor Sununu, who's very popular. I know uh, Rick Scott, who's the chairman of the NRSC, is trying very hard to to make sure that Sununu runs for the Senate. I think he'd be an excellent senator. And if he does, that's, that is a seat that Republicans should be in, in good position to pick up, as well as those seats in Georgia. Uh, I, look, I think Nevada and Arizona are both going to be very competitive races as well. Uh, you know, Unfortunately, we're playing defense as well in, in places like Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, uh, North Carolina. Uh, so it's, it's a big map next year. I know Democrats are feeling confident. I know Republicans are feeling confident. I think we're going to – I think it's way too early. The Senate is way too early to call simply because there are a lot of unknowns uh, at this point. Uh, but you had a couple of surprise retirements too. So in Nevada, yeah. they say the uh, the attorney general, the former attorney general, Adam Laxalt, is their best chance uh, to win uh, against Senator uh, Cortez Mastro. Do you agree with that? I think he's uh, certainly would be a very strong candidate. Uh, it, Fortunately, Nevada is a state that has a lot of strong Republicans in it. it. It was not that long ago. This was a real liable Republican state uh, that had two Republican senders. I feel good about our chances picking it up there. Again, I think it's a little bit too early. I know this, the Senate committee is working hard to recruit uh, some good candidates out there, uh, and we have a lot to choose from. Absolutely. In Ohio, J.D. Vance is uh, an among is the probably the highest profile uh, to be the senator to replace Portman. On the other side, Tim Ryan, the so-called moderate, is running ads. He had a three-minute piece out. Doesn't even mention that he's a Democrat. How did, do you yeah. look at Vance as the front runner? Seems popular. Doing he, uh, re, trying to reestablish connections with President Trump. Early on, he was an anti-Trumper. He's changed. 
even deleted past tweets that were critical of yep. Trump. What about Ryan not running as a Democrat or Republican? Usually you pr- you run with pride with your party. Ohio really leans red now. It does lean red. And again, this is another state that 20 years ago was a flip state or a dem state, and now it's a reliably Republican state. Uh, we're, Republicans are going to have a competitive primary there, and uh, J.D. Vance is obviously running, as is Josh Mandel, who has run, who's run before. Um, there's some other candidates as well, whereas I think it seems like the Democrats are coalescing around Ryan, which, which might help him in that state. He does, you know, while he's certainly a partisan Democrat, uh, you know, he's not a Bernie Sanders-style Democrat, which, which could help him in a state like Ohio. This is a state Republicans should win. It's a state that we need to win if we're going to win the Senate. Um, I think it's one that bears – we need to watch that closely to see how the primary plays out on, on our end. Uh, and then we're going to have to be ready to dedicate a lot of resources. You know, I think Republicans are going to have to donate a lot of money to whoever our nominee is in that state to, to make sure that we can win there. The Republicans did the impossible, losing both Senate races, even though Purdue had won uh, but just didn't yep. get 50 percent. So now Warnock is up because he filled a seat that, uh, for two years. So he's going to be up. Have you seen a high-profile Republican that you thought had promise against Warnock because the big names are not coming out? Herschel Walker is not committed. Maybe that's keeping people on the sidelines. I worry about Herschel, not that because I don't think he knows the issues yet. Yeah, I mean, he's look. He's like a lot of these celebrities that that get into politics. You know, we're seeing that with with you know a very different candidate, but but Jenner in, in California. Once they get into the race, they look a whole lot different than than when they're just celebrities. And uh, and so, you, I, look, I think somebody like Herschel Walker is high risk, potentially high reward. Uh, we'll have to, if if he runs, we'll have to see what kind of a candidate he is. Uh, people haven't really looked at him as a politician before. Obviously, I'm, I'm a Minnesota Vikings fan, so I've got. I've got my own strong feelings about Herschel Walker going back to the 90s. Um, so we'll see. Again, Georgia's another race where Republicans have to win that if we're going to win the majority back uh, next year. Uh, I think we're going to end up with a good candidate there. I assume it will be a competitive primary on our end. I think that will probably lead to a, the best candidate emerging from it. Uh, but then it comes down to turnout. Look, the reason we lost those races in the, in the, in the runoff elections – uh, earlier this year is because Republicans didn't turn out. And I think that's a lesson to, to remember next November, not just in Georgia, but in just about every state. Midterms tend to have much lower turnout than the presidential elections. Um, and, and so it's just it, it, the, 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 the races are less about who can win the independence and who can than it is about who can really turn right. out their base. So, uh, and in a state like Georgia, it's just absolutely critical for Republicans to turn out for whoever we end up nominating there. I would say absolutely. You just got to see someone high profile because Warnock is very comfortable on his feet. Uh, surprise yep. retirements from Senator Burr of North Carolina and Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania. Uh, any Either way, do you feel either way? Do you want Johnson to run a Wisconsin if you take all three of those on? That's a good question. I mean, normally you absolutely would want the incumbent to run uh, in the state just because he's going to raise more money. That said, you know, I think Johnson has a very divisive record in Wisconsin. I think some of his statements on the vaccine are not helpful in a state like Wisconsin, which is, let's face it, a, a Democrat-leaning state now. Uh, also, we have some other potentially really good candidates. Mike Gallagher, the House member from Wisconsin, is outstanding. It would be an incredible senator uh, if Johnson decided not to run for re-election. Um, either way, Look, it's a Democrat-leaning state. The Democrats already have their candidate. They're right. spending a lot of money in the state already. So um, that you know, that's one we're really going to have to fight for. Uh, but I would love to see a Republican from Wisconsin. Uh, and if, if Johnson decides not to run, you know, I think Mike Gallagher would, would be a great fit for uh, for the Senate. Anybody, uh, and, and, anybody and just, in North yeah. Carolina? 
Yeah, I, I not yet. I mean, I know we have a lot of good candidates uh, potentially, and that is another state that the NRSC is working to recruit people. Um, the the lesson from the last couple cycles is you can't win without top notch candidates, uh, and uh, we've had a lot of success uh, in in. Um, in 2020, frankly, recruiting a lot of really good candidates is why a lot of our congressional candidates outperformed President Trump on, on Election Day. Uh, that needs to happen again in 2022. If we can recruit good candidates in places like Pennsylvania, North right. Carolina, Wisconsin, this all gets – North and New Hampshire, obviously, was go- with Governor Sununu, this becomes much, much easier. I just think Mark Kelly is using, missing a huge opportunity to lock up that Senate seat. He's known as an astronaut. We get it. We – you know, we know his personal story and how what his wife went through, sadly. But he's done nothing on the border. He's done nothing uh, to alert to to go to bat for his own state or to show even a moderate tendency when it comes to spending. And Arizona, yeah. even Democrats would admit it's purple. Yeah, oh, it's, it's definitely. I mean, look, that's probably the, the closest state in the country, and especially when it comes to presidential contests um, in 2020 and in all likelihood in 2024. Uh, and I agree with you. I mean, there is no reason that there should be two Democrats in the Senate from Arizona, uh, given how closely divided that state is. Mark Kelly is is a. I mean, Kristen Cinema, the other senator from Arizona, she's a she's a, she is by all definitions a moderate. I mean, she she is the it's her and Joe Manchin are the two Democrats that I think Chuck Schumer wake up wake up in the middle of the night worrying about. Mark Kelly is a reliable liberal gotcha. vote. Um, not clear to me that that's a great fit for a swing state like Arizona. I think if we could recruit a good candidate in that state and and, and have them be well-funded, uh, there's no right. reason that couldn't be competitive. Alex Conan, Firehouse Strategies. Thanks so much, Alex. It's going to be an exciting backstretch. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Brian. You got it. one 866 I'll take your calls and close out this hour. Thanks so much for listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Tom Brady is a very good friend of mine. He's a great guy. For those of you that don't know him, he's a very honorable guy and an honest guy and a truly great athlete. Uh, he is really a very good friend of mine, and I just spoke to him a little while ago. He's so thrilled and so happy. But we found our rhythm. We got on a roll. Not a lot of people, uh, you know, think that we could have won. And um, in fact, I think about 40% of the people still don't think we won. I understand that. You understand that, Mr. <laughs> President? I lost track of one down in 21 years of playing, and they started calling me Sleepy Tom. <laughs> Why would they do that to me? Tom Brady at the White House. I don't think he showed up for the White House when they won the Super Bowl uh, with the Patriots the last time, which is kind of weird. His wife puts pressure on him reportedly, but then taking two shots at President Trump. What do you think about that? Do you think President Trump will still have such kind words to say about Tom Brady? I, I don't know. I mean, if he had Twitter, would he have taken a shot at Tom Brady? I think absolutely. Yeah. Right? Or, you? you know, he wouldn't know what to do because he does not want to be. It doesn't work to his advantage to have another athlete who he knows I guess he could have pre- – he gets pressure from his wife, Tom Brady, to do that, don't you think? He's also a man who can make his own decisions, so if he didn't want to say that, he wouldn't have said it. Right. He went out of his way to write material. He did. Some of, you know, so and he tried crazy. to look like a little extra handsome, maybe. Really? You don't think so? Uh, I don't know. I always let uh, – when it comes to judging <laughs> uh, men, I don't really go over the top, but I do find to be Tom Brady a very handsome man. That's very Who seems to be aging well. 
Yes, indeed. Electrolytes. That's the key. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're going to be joined by Congresswoman Maliotakis, uh, Nicole Maliotakis. She's on, uh, as you know, she's from New York, and she's uh, very aggressive what's happening with our governor, who's riddled with scandal, uh, who somehow seems to be surviving, and it's stunning. We're also going to talk about her roots in Cuba and how the President of the United States having a lot of trouble dealing with his left and coming out and condemning communism. I'm never... I, I, every day I get up my head spinning about what his foreign policy is, let alone his domestic policy. And Brian Rotella has joined us in a little while. One of the things they're talking about jamming down our throats is expanding Medicare. Well, what does that mean if you drop Medicare eligibility down to 60 years old? How about trillions of dollars and not enough doctors in order to deal with all these patients getting discount health care? The math is not going to add up. He's going to make it all make sense. But first, as we come to you from New York and heard around the country, around the world, the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. There's a 900% increase in COVID cases in the Rio Grande sector right now. He's now going to say it's dangerous to post something about a vaccine on Facebook, but it's not dangerous to let in hundreds of thousands of unvaccinated migrants into the country and then bus them to swing states. Yeah, pretty amazing. The vaccine and the variants. Please don't tell me you care about stopping the virus when you leave the southern border wide open, positive rates up 900%, while at the same time mandating vaccine and perhaps knocking on your door while demanding two-year-olds wear masks. Hey, President Biden, you're not my nanny. You're not my doctor. I will take care of my health care from here. Thanks. Number two. We refuse to be a hostage, to remain a hostage within a state of Texas. And I'm ready to be arrested. What do you do to a slave if you don't do with nothing but arrest them when they flee? We fled Texas. If they want to arrest me, go ahead. I'm ready to be arrested. Out of bounds. An embarrassment and now a danger to their own party and their state. That's how I characterize the Texas state reps. Infecting Washington with uh, COVID virus. Six of them have tested positive, And they've infected Nancy Pelosi's staff and the White House by doing their thank goodness I am great tour through Washington when they escaped from Texas in order not to vote on new election rules. Unbelievable. A super spreader event that Democrats don't want to talk about. Number one. Senator Paul, you do not know what you are talking about, quite frankly. And I want to say that officially. The gain-of-function research was going on in that lab, and NIH funded it. That is not... get away from it, and you are obfuscating the truth. I'm not obfuscating the truth. Yeah, well, uh, you are. And you know what? Fauci versus Rand Paul. Don't kid yourself by reading the coverage. This was a knockout. It's just a matter of time until Fauci's face hits the canvas. He can't handle what we're about to find out about the truth, because we can always tell fact from fiction. So what were they talking about? I want you to hear some of the exchange. And let me tell you, it's about gain-of-function research. What does that mean for people that aren't scientists like us? They were gaming out. They were were role-playing what it would be like uh, if you 
actually upgraded this virus and crossed it with something else, like, for example, a bat, how would you deal with it? And one way they deal with it in the scientific community is to go create it and then find a way to contain it. What if there's a lab leak? That seems to have happened. When you see those people uh, that tested positive for this in November in China at the Wuhan lab, now it's agreed to even by the Biden administration of the WHO. That lab has to be looked at when Donald Trump said it. They tried to get rid of his Twitter account. They eventually were successful. So when it came to gain-of-function research, why would we do it when President Obama wanted it stopped? And Rand Paul, reading from a paper, it showed in as early as 2011 that Anthony Fauci was allowing this to happen through grants, through his foundation, the NIH. Cut to. You do not know what you are talking about. This is your definition that you guys wrote. It says that scientific research that increases the transmissibility among animals is gain of function. They took animal viruses that only occur in animals and they increased their transmissibility to humans. How you can say that is not gain of function. It is not. It's a dance and you're dancing around this because you're trying to obscure responsibility for four million people dying around the world from a pandemic. And it got worse. Cut three. Senator Paul, you do not know what you are talking about, quite frankly. And I want to say that officially. You do not know what you are talking about. The gain-of-function research was going on in that lab, and NIH funded it. That is not— get away from it. It meets your definition, and you are obfuscating the truth. I'm not obfuscating the truth. Yeah, you are. And among the people that said that, Josh Rogan, he tweeted out, and you know how much Josh knows about this. He wrote the book Chaos Under Heaven. He said the NIH was funding gain-of-function research. Rand Paul was right, and Fauci was wrong. He writes for the Washington Post, wrote a book on China and the U.S. and what China's trying to do here and what happened in that Wuhan lab. Also agreeing, Admiral Giroir, who dealt one-on-one with Fauci, he says, listen, I haven't had a problem with him. I don't want to talk about politics, but I watched that exchange. Here's what the admiral said. I think it was a concerning exchange, and, and I do believe probably Dr. Fauci was hiding behind the technical definitions of what the NIH might consider, quote, gain-of-function research. But what they did uh, fund was exactly what Rand Paul said. They funded researchers to go in the hundreds of miles away into the back of bat caves, extract dangerous viruses from bats that have never been seen by humans before, and bring them to a city of 10 million people in the Wuhan lab. Next, they chopped up those viruses and created new Frankenstein viruses to see if they could infect human cells. Now, that may not technically be, quote, gain-of-function research, but it is dangerous research, and Senator Paul's questions deserve to be answered. They do. Anyone? on and then he did our show on primetime last night which will be on tonight at seven again and then he did sean hannity cut for, cut six once the public realizes that the nih under his leadership funded the wuhan lab that is beyond question they did the nih funded the lab but once the public figures out that they were doing very very dangerous research there gain-of-function research, taking animal viruses and making them more transmissible into humans. Once everybody puts this together, he realizes where the blame's going to attach. He has at least tangential responsibility. If this came from the lab that he was funding, my goodness, can you imagine the moral culpability that the man has? Right, and maybe that's why he is so angry. 
And what I'm angry about is the proclamation from the American Pediatric Society that to have masks on kids at two years old. Anthony Fauci reads that and says, oh, that sounds good. How about you funding your own study yourself and finding out that the kids don't get it? If they get it, it's not serious, and it's hard for them to transfer. And if they're going to transfer it, it's not going to be to a teacher who's got the option to be vaccinated. Listen to Rand Paul, cut eight. There's no science to have kids in masks. No kids should be wearing masks in America at this point. The death rate is less than the seasonal flu for children. Uh, we should treat it like the seasonal flu for children, and we should treat it like the serious illness that it is for those who are older, particularly over 65. Simple as that. Please stand up and help out these kids. They're being emotionally slowed down. Uh, they're being stunted because of this ridiculous rule of looking out for their best interest. Their best interest is to be able to see people smile, be able to laugh, and hang out with their friends as young as 3, 4, and 5, let alone 10, 11, and 12. It's been way too long. A month, if you if you want to try to convince me, you never actually will. But if you want to say for a month, I might say, okay. I'll deal with that, but not for a year and a half. They're talking about have kids having to open up school with masks on. Ridiculous. Meanwhile, talking about ridiculous, these Texas Democrats hop on Beto O'Rourke's plane, which he funds through his super PAC, and they fly to Washington, D.C. and hailed as heroes with Senator Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, and the Vice President of the United States. Along the way, they flew in their private jet without masks on and beer in the back, and they had a good time and were hailed as heroes. They said they gave up weddings, graduations, and bar mitzvahs. I doubt it. If they did, they didn't want to go to the wedding, they didn't want to go to the graduation, and they had no interest in the bar mitzvah. Because you don't do this and say, I'm not doing my job, because that's what they're doing, not showing up. And or not allow a quorum to be taken by the Republicans and for uh, reform to take root. So one of these Texas representatives, Sophrona Thompson, spoke not about the six who tested positive, not about the staffers on Nancy Pelosi's uh, uh, staff who have the vaccine and tested positive, not about the White House workers who tested positive, but about their mission. Cut 15. We refuse to be a hostage. That's right. To remain a hostage within a state of Texas. And I know that there are search warrants out for us, and I'm ready to be arrested. <laughs> what do you do to a slave if you don't do nothing but arrest them when they flee? Oh, we fled Texas, and if they want to arrest me, go ahead. I'm ready to be arrested. So when you're in the minority in Texas, in the legislature, you're a slave. When you run away from your job, you're a slave. And when you're asked to go back, you're a slave. How un- this was said on Friday. Everybody missed it. They watched it. We watched it this morning. We said, I got to put this on the show. They left because they don't have the majority in Texas. I got news for you. You haven't had the majority in Texas since LBJ was in uh, representing your state and then representing the presidency. That has since reversed for 40 years. That's not slavery. You don't agree with legislation. You don't want to work it out, roll up your sleeves and get something done. You quit. And you equate it to slavery. That's like saying racist. We're done with this. Brit Hume on the fiasco. Not thought out. Now it's all about being a super spreader, even if the media won't call it that. Cut 20. Well, the whole trip has turned out to be a complete fiasco, uh, you know, because leaving the, the, uh, the legislature down there and depriving it of a quorum is interfering with the democratic process in the state of Texas. And what are they here to protest? Alleged interference in the democratic process because of a law on voting and how it's to be conducted that has been 
passed by the the uh, Texas House and is headed for the test by the Texas Senate and is headed for the House. So to protest interference in the democratic process, they are, guess what, interfering in the democratic uh -huh. process. <laughs> and then they fly up here and come down, a bunch of them come down with COVID, uh -huh. which is extremely embarrassing. So the whole trip, I think, is just a total loss for them as a, as a political matter. When we come back, Congresswoman Meliotakis on this, on the farce that it is, as well as this whole infrastructure bill, human infrastructure that they're trying to fold immigration into and voting reform into. Unacceptable. It's got to be stopped. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Jeff Bezos said that he wanted to uh, thank every Amazon customer and every employee for financing, basically financing his trip to mm -hmm. outer space. Does he tell, like, and he said he actually means it from the bottom of his heart. Of course he means it from the bottom of his heart, because if he didn't drive down Amazon wages, if he didn't bust the union, if he didn't have drivers, frankly, having conditions where they feel like they have to pee in bottles, that is what finance, it's the exploitation of workers that financed his little jaunt into space, well not even space, the edge of space, and for what? We did this 60 years ago with NASA, with the public. So all of this for, for a billionaire to have a joyride into space, I think people would rather have health care. Really? Okay, I didn't know it was an either or. Joining us now to put that in perspective, capitalism that is, Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis. Uh, she's on Foreign Affairs Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Crisis, but an expert on Queens Congresswoman. Uh, Congresswoman, <laughs> thanks. So, I mean, does she understand math? Listen, I think they maybe should have better conditions for some Amazon workers, but does she understand capitalism and how much uh, this guy has added to our economy? Man, uh, I would just say that she is a space cadet. <laughs> Everything she says sounds like she's in another world, another planet. So, she, uh, you know, it's, I mean, she's the reason why Amazon does not have a hub in New York. Exactly, exactly. And, and, and I'll tell you, Brian, people in New York City, which is also uh, the city that I represent, are incredibly, incredibly upset about that. And I, I've been actually I was in her district last week speaking to to people in uh, the Astoria, Long Island City section of Queens, which w was where the Amazon site would have come uh, and it would have provided jobs. To them. They, they are incredibly disenchanted with the the, the jobs that she killed, of course, good paying jobs on average, these were six figure paying jobs um, that would have been would have been amazing for the entire community. They were going to do infrastructure investment as well as part of the deal. And uh, she killed it. She and uh, the far left individuals that represent that area don't want opportunity. In fact, uh, another project in Brooklyn, uh, New York City Councilman in Brooklyn was 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 celebrating the fact that he project along the waterfront there. Uh, so, so now in New York City, uh, you know, their platform is killing jobs. I mean, literally. And, and, then, and then they, they, they put forward legislation that 
let's say, just criminalizes uh, prostitution. Is that their idea of job creation? It's unbelievable. I mean, I, I don't get it. I just don't get it. It's uh, completely backwards, and it's very unfortunate that we have these individuals representing our city. Absolutely. What's happening in Cuba now gives them a historic opportunity to support people who are flying the American flag. Bernie Sanders has really not supported anything. AOC has actually praised them. The creative founder of Black Lives Matter said how equitable the society is. What planet are they on? This is an opportunity for uh, us to help these people, and in, 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 I think you agree. No, absolutely. Look, uh, to say that there's equality, it, it, the only equality in Cuba is absolute misery. And by the way, the regime is treated, uh, you know, they live as kings. If you join that communist resolu- revolution, you will somewhat be taking care of your immediate needs. Uh, but the people, the actual people who are on the streets, they want freedom. They want democracy. My family who lives there, they are suffering immensely. There's not access to food, to medicine. Uh, they have a dual currency system, by the way, where the Cuban people are paid in one currency and then tourists and everything is sold in another currency, which is equivalent to the U.S. dollar. Hospital system is complete. Uh, segregation as well. Uh, you know, there's a hospital, uh, which Michael Moore had covered, that wonderful health care. Yeah, that's only for the tourists and the elite, the regime, the ruling class. Everyone else, they, they don't have anything in terms of health care on that island. So it is a complete hypocrisy for uh, organizations like BLM in particular, by the way, who claim to care about uh, a police brutality to commend the, the regime, the brutal, murderous regime in which the forces are beating, shooting, jailing, abducting their own people. So I don't get that at all. And then you have Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Bernie Sanders, who, you know, are, again, communist sympathizers who, who are commending this regime uh, and, and they just want to prop up this regime, which is why they're calling for the United States to lift this embargo because that's the only people that will be helped by this. Anything that comes into that island with all the business that they do around the world, it goes to the regime, medicine, uh, supplies, uh, money. It doesn't get to the people. It doesn't. Congressman, lastly, have you heard anything about Governor Cuomo's behind closed doors uh, deposition? Look, I have not, but what I will say is that that deposition could very well determine the future for the governor. As you know, I've called for this governor to resign uh, amid the scandal with the nursing homes, his decisions where he misplaced uh, his priorities and put positive patients with the nursing home in nursing homes, leading to 15,000 deaths. That alone is the reason why he should not be reelected and why he should resign. However, I believe that we're going to wait to see what this report says. Um, but I think that the governor is on his way out. I do believe that we're going to defeat him in an election. If it comes to that, if, if, if we need to go to the ballot box, I think Lee Zeldin is a great candidate uh, who can beat him. And I think the people of New York have expressed that they don't want him running for a fourth term. Yeah, he's already beat the odds and went into a very purple district and was successful uh, before in Suffolk County. He has some he actually has some uh, popularity in New York City. So let's see if Lee Zeldin can pull it off. I know I know he certainly is dedicated with the military background. That wouldn't hurt, along with his fondness for uh, former President Trump. Congresswoman, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. When we come back, uh, Brian Rotella joins us. The scary part of this infrastructure bill might be sneaking up on you. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Today we announced 
something new. COVID safety requirement for our health workers. The workers we depend on the most and the workers who are the most vulnerable. We need a strong, clear approach that every single one of our workers gets vaccinated or gets tested weekly. This will begin on August 2nd. All of our health and hospitals staff, all of our clinical workers for Department of Health, it's very clear, and the health commissioner will explain the order he is issuing to put this into effect. Every single one of those employees has a choice. Get vaccinated, the better choice, or get tested weekly. Uh, and there you go. Are they allowed to do that? Everybody here is dealing with that workplace, whether it's going to be school in the spring, excuse me, school in the fall, or right now as they try to go back to work in many cases. So let's answer some of those questions. Brian Rotel is with her, with us, a lawyer, founder and managing partner at uh, Genco Legal. And Brian also has a, a particular expertise when it comes to health care, which has everything to do with this infrastructure plan that's going to be done on simple recon- reconciliation at some point for by Democrats. Brian, welcome back. Hey, Brian. Always great to be on. So, Brian, people listening right now are wrestling with that very question. Can my boss tell me, ask me, can I, am I vaccinated? And if so, and if not, what does that mean for my testing schedule that I have to go through? So the first question is yes, your boss can do that. People think that it applies, that HIPAA applies, but they don't understand HIPAA is something that your doctor can't go share your information or those employers who actually run a health insurance program for you, they can't share information, but they can ask you. And as far as the real question that I'm getting literally every day in my practice, yes, employers can mandate vaccines. I in no way recommend doing that. You know, I've talked a little bit about that before because I think it's opening up major liability for employers that don't have immunity. I think the bigger issue that concerns me is what's going on with these kids. And I'm sure you saw that case in Indiana where they tried to fight back and the court said, you know, no, you've got to have a vaccine to come to Indiana University. Brian, the statistics of of under 18, I don't know if everyone knows this, but 335 deaths from COVID under 18. That's all we've had so far. Now, those are obviously tragic. I don't want to underplay that, but that's the number. In Minnesota alone, in 2020, 98 uh, kids under 24 died of suicide. Are we going to start mandating Prozac? Great point. The other thing is, what happened to the 335? Is anyone studying? How much had underlying conditions going in? What were the circumstances to it? That's what we should be using our money on. What about the kids who get the uh, swollen heart? Uh, What is that called again? Eric, I know you pronounce it perfect. It's Myocarditis. A friend of right. mine just got this. It, and I have tangential evidence that I've got clients, cardiology clients, who've told me they've seen that. They're not 100% sure it's connected, but that's an inflamed heart. So you are taking some risk on this. is still under emergency approval. It's not fully FDA approved. The analogy I've been using is if for kids playing t-ball, would we ask them to wear a football helmet? Maybe the ball doesn't bounce back and hit him in the head, but is that really necessary? Are they going to be very effective doing that, or are we overkilling this? I think the country's gone nuts, personally. And again, I'm not underplaying how serious COVID is, but for the at-risk population, this is the opposite of what we did so effectively with polio. With polio, you had what? who was impacted mostly? Children, right? To the point of it, in 1952, we had something like 60,000 cases and 3,000 deaths. They started 
uh, mandating when you went to school or when you're you know, literally as an infant getting uh, immunized. We should be doing what DeSantis, our governor here in Florida, did, which is focusing on the at-risk population around mandated vaccines. That's the senior living communities. Brian, that's where we had that tragedy up in New York with Governor Cuomo. What are we doing with these kids under the age of 24 with the statistics we have? And I, for the life of me, I hope this makes it to the Supreme Court in their sense. Why the courts are not getting involved and following the, the, the seem to have gone down the path of this insanity, I'm not sure. I'm not sure either. Here's Dr. Marty McCarry on kids in masks, which I think affects, you know, there's grandparents listening to us right now, parents, and there are kids listening to us right now. And I think people are asking this constantly. You want you'll do anything to keep your kids safe. But now a two-year-old cut nine. He should be ashamed of himself, by the way. The NIH last year spent $41 billion on research grants. 0.4% of that went to COVID. If he is so convinced that masks are needed in kids two and a half years old, why didn't he fund the study? I'd love to see the data. There's no data. And that's because he has not funded that study. So, I mean, that's, that's the irony of it all. So here and here's Dr. Rand Paul on this before I have you comment. Cut eight. There's no science to have kids in masks. No kids should be wearing masks in America at this point. The death rate is less than the seasonal flu for children. Uh, we should treat it like the seasonal flu for children, and we should treat it like the serious illness that it is for those who are older, particularly over 65. So there you go. Number one, why are you not focusing on this and coming up with your own science? And number two. Uh, there is no science to tell a three-year-old to wear a mask in daycare or preschool. Yeah, Brian, I would direct everybody to the CDC.gov H1N1 flu back in 2009 and what they put out there. I'm reading from it. Information on the effectiveness of face masks and respirators for decreasing the risk of influenza infection in community settings is extremely limited. So it's difficult to assess. They say here in this CDC, I won't read the whole thing, but anyone who wants to go out and see back in 2009, H1N1, they were saying, we don't really know that masks are effective. So they were using an approach. All right. If you're going to be someplace where you think, let's say, like on an airplane or in a doctor's office, that may be a setting or you're with an at-risk population where you need to wear a mask. Putting them on two-year-olds, I'll go back to my analogy again. It's putting football helmets on kids playing t-ball. That All that's going to do is make them, quite frankly, I think we're going to start having mental health issues as far as their social interactions. And again, I'm not a doctor or provider, but the courts have got to intervene here. And my question is, where is the ACLU? And I can answer it. You know what they're worried about, Brian? They're worried about the uh, illegal immigration, uh, immigrant population that's coming over and whether they are getting the vaccine. That's where the ACLU is right now, not on our 14th Amendment right for due process and liberty and whether parents should be having or grandparents should be um, having to hear that their children need to be wearing masks or get vaccinated for something. I will go back to that number, 335 deaths, again, tragic deaths. But to your point, how do we even know and have we studied, was it actually the direct cause of these deaths? And we just got to wonder as parents, could legally, can they do anything? They see the damage it does to their kids, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. They don't know what their teacher looks like. They don't know what a smile, laugh, a frown, uh, what nerves, what fear looks like. They don't see it for eight hours a day. Now for a complete year, is there anything legally they can do before I pivot to the infrastructure bill? 
Uh, candidly, yeah, they can go to court and try to get an injunction against these schools. But right now they're losing. The country's in a state of hysteria. The country still feels like, I've commented on this before, that it's in March and April of 2020. Not that we are where we are right now in July of 2021. Uh, Brian, there's going to be an infrastructure bill part of, uh, at some point, maybe in the next month, maybe the next two weeks, that's going to be pure party pass and it's going to be on reconciliation. One of the things that's going to be in there is proposed, and 150 Democrats in the House have signed off on it, and that is to lower the age on Medicare, expand it and lower the age to eligibility to 60 years old. Is the, what, is the, what are the challenges with doing that? It's the ultimate bait and switch. It, I'll go back to what you know I talk about all the time. I'm going to talk about Obamacare very briefly. Why? Obamacare, President Biden opened up an entire period, a new period. Remember, we used to just have open enrollment in October. His special period went from February 15th to apparently August 15th, but they're going to extend it. You know how many people signed up for Obamacare? Two million so far. 1.2 million of those folks have gotten plans with a $10 a month premium. Why, Brian? The American Recovery Act, remember that? Forget about the infrastructure bill. Poured trillions of dollars in subsidies to these insurance companies, big insurance. That lobby won well here, right? And again, I've said before, there's good insurance companies out there, but Obamacare has basically been completely now funded by the U.S. taxpayer, and Obamacare premiums are lower than what somebody in this 60 to 65, and there's a study on this, population, especially the more impoverished or working class, let's say you make $32,000 in Houston, as an example, you would pay for a silver plan on Obamacare, $88. If Traditional Medicare, and folks who are on Medicare know this in your audience, most folks don't know this. There's traditional Medicare, and it's got a Part A and a Part B. The A is the hospitalization part. The B is your doctor visits. A vast majority of people buy what's called Medicare Advantage through private insurance companies. That's what starts jacking up the rates. So under my example, it would cost $284 for that same person making $32,000 in the city of Houston to get Medicare under what they're proposing uh, above the age 60 compared to going on the Obamacare exchanges that are now supersized in their subsidies. I see it as a massive bait and switch. And my personal belief is what you're almost looking at, using the analogy of something like the airline industry, this is a very behind the curtain overtaking of all of health insurance by taxpayers' dollars being used as compared, going through to the insurance companies, as compared to being paid by what? Your employer contributions, people 60 to 65 work, and also personal contributions. So that's why they're proposing this. But truthfully, for the people who I think really might need it, making, let's say, $32,000 in Houston or $18,000 in Los Angeles, they're getting a raw deal. It's like being told, hey, I'm going to bump you off your uh, first class flight, um, but you got to stay over the night at the Newark uh, you know, uh, airport, and I'll put you in coach in the last row tomorrow. That's what people aren't being told. This is a political ploy, and it's ultimately to do what they want to do, which is get as much funding by the government. It's close to 100% into insurance companies and out of employer and personal payments 
for insurance premiums. Right, and what they're going to do, too, is you're going to have trouble getting doctors if everyone's going to be going for free health care at 60 years old and up. Are we going to be able to treat these, uh, get treatment for these people? And who's going to want to be a doctor when you have this type of payment? Yeah, well, we're, we're putting Q on, on a fire here because 132000 is what they're arranging as the shortage we're going to have by 2032 in doctors. Now, we just, we're going through COVID, and we had to deal with bringing doctors out of retirement. We had to open up where doctors who are licensed in Florida, let's say, could practice in New York. We were doing some stuff that we have never done. I don't know that that's safe. In fact, I don't think that it probably is safe. And where have we had the massive shortage? What, is, what are we really talking about, which people should be caring about? Primary care. I'll say it again, primary care. Do you think people want to go into primary care when they're going to have this huge influx of, Not of a chance. Uh, people coming in? You know where they are? They're in the specialties. They're in cosmetics. They're in doing surgical intervention. There's more money in that. If I were a kid in college and looking at med school, there is no way I would be considering. And it's sad because I have tons of respect for them and represent many of them primary care medicine. For people out there, they do this. Watch what happens to how slow it takes for you to get an appointment. If you're one of these folks that's on Medicare over 65 when they open it up to 60 and uh, to 65. You're about to find all that out. Brian Rotella, thanks so much. Always a pleasure, Brian. 1-866-408-7669. We have a lot to discuss uh, in terms of the knockout. I think of Senator Rand Paul knocks out Fauci, the embarrassment of this Texas delegation and vaccines and variants. Why will we not be told the truth? Brian Kilmeade Show. Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. You're probably wondering why I'm dressed like this. Well, it's for my husband's birthday. Remember, sometime back, I said I was going to pose on Playboy magazine when I was 75. Well, I'm 75, and they don't have a magazine anymore. But my husband always loved the original cover of Playboy, so I was trying to think of something to do to make him happy. He still thinks I'm a hot chick after 57 years, and I'm not going to try to talk him out of that. All right, that was Dolly Parton. What was she doing again? <laughs> Brian, she um, so she was on the cover of Playboy years ago, and her husband always loved it. So for his birthday, uh-huh. and now that she's 75, she did sort of her own photo shoot. Nice. Like a Playboy bunny. Let's find out if there's even more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-G-O-L-D. I watched a lot of this series and so much of the NBA playoffs. I know many of you didn't. The ratings were not great. But this team, the Milwaukee Bucks, are an actual team. They won the NBA championship first time since 1971. And I really respect the fact that uh, G- uh, that Giannis said, I he scored 50 points, by the way. They call it one of the greatest finals performance. And he's the MVP of the series. He had three 40-point games. The greatest final performance maybe ever in the history of the NBA playoffs and the finals. But I will say this. He's from Greece. Only started playing basketball at the age of 13. He put on 15 pounds of 25 pounds, maybe even more of muscle. Never argues a call. The ultimate sportsman. 
And the fact is he could have went anywhere, formed a super team with LeBron and others. Instead, he goes, I just want to stay with the people that drafted me. They drafted his brother, too. And it's a victory for the Midwest. Nobody ever wants to stay in the Midwest. This guy wants to stay. No, that's a great story. And, I mean, I know uh, the Bucks fans that I see on social media are just out of their mind happy. 65,000 outside the arena. Wow. Unbelievable. Next. Eric Swalwell spent thousands of campaign dollars on booze, limo services, and hotels. Also, shots of him in Qatar, evidently exploring security when it comes to next year's World Cup, shirtless on a camel. If this is true, this has got to be it for him, doesn't it? But no one else is talking about it. You only hear about it on Fox and see the glorious pictures of him shirtless on a camel. Yeah, I mean, how stupid is that? What is he thinking? It was during the pandemic. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. But also, do you see he spent more than $20,000 of campaign funds at a luxury hotel where his wife is um, the director of sales? Yeah. I mean, he also gets gets liquor delivered, uh, apparently, on some app that everybody knows except me. Drizzle, I think it is. You don't know Drizzle? Yes. No, I never. I I pick up my liquor in person. That's (laughs) one of my... It's a family tradition. But Uh, also, you're not even talking about the fact he used to sleep with the Chinese spy. Yes. I mean, what more does it take to get this guy kicked right out of Congress? By the way, isn't that a, isn't that a violation? Yeah. And wasn't he just named to the Intelligence Committee or some other committee of that nature? Yeah. Next. So Aaron Rodgers, arguably the best quarterback in the NFL, has rejected an extension that would have made the richest player in football uh, because he wants to get traded from the Packers. It would have been a two-year deal. He's already spent 16 years there. He replaced Brett Favre there. Earned a Super Bowl there. Hosted Jeopardy in April, uh, the NFL MVP in February, but he wants to be traded. The problem is there's, he cannot force a trade, and if he doesn't play, he's not going to get paid. Wow. And he said, but he had issues with the team's character and culture. What does he mean by that? I'm not sure. They've won almost every day he's been there. Far better winning tradition there. He's not happy that they drafted a quarterback two years ago. That bothered him. He said it was disrespectful. Don't you need backups? Yeah, but they you don't draft a guy number one and not expect him to start. Oh. So he's like, hey, why don't you just trade me? You want him? Trade me. You know, uh, I think that uh, I think he's a little insulted, getting a little bent out of shape. Uh, I believe that he has no choice but to stay. I just don't know how he takes snaps for a team that everybody knows he doesn't want to be there with. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. All right, coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We really appreciate you tuning in. It's going to be a big hour. Adam Carolla has been booked. It's going to be great. Martha McCown, uh, bottom of the hour. She's getting set to host her show beginning at 3 o'clock Eastern time. She's going to stop by our show first, and we'll take your calls. So as we uh, come to you from Manhattan, where crime is rampant, and we have a mayor who's ignoring the current mayor and just acting like he's already won the election, even though he's just got the primary, Eric Adams, in a big story today in the New York Times, he said, um, uh, Brett Stevens, a conservative, uh, a Trump hater, but a conservative in the New York Times, says Eric Adams will straighten out New York. We'll have to see. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. 
There's a 900% increase in COVID cases in the Rio Grande sector right now. He's now going to say it's dangerous to post something about a vaccine on Facebook, but it's not dangerous to let in hundreds of thousands of unvaccinated migrants into the country and then bus them to swing states. The vaccine and the variants. Please don't tell me you care about stopping the virus while the southern border is wide open. The positivity rate's up 900% in one valley in particular in Texas. At the same time, mandating the vaccine and perhaps soon demanding two-year-olds wear a mask. Hey, President Biden, you're not my nanny. You're not my doctor. I'll take care of my health care from here. Thank you. Number two. We refuse to be a hostage, to remain a hostage within a state of Texas. And I'm ready to be arrested. What do you do to a slave if you don't do with nothing but arrest them when they flee? We fled Texas, and if they want to arrest me, go ahead. I'm ready to be arrested. What? That's Freona Thompson. She's one of the heretics who left Texas rather than do her job. Now she hails herself as a hero, a slave, an embarrassment to the country. That's how I characterize what the Texas representatives have done. Now they got the COVID-19 virus. Six of them do. They infected Nancy Pelosi's staff. They might have gotten the vice president. Their message has been trampled on by themselves. Number one. Senator Paul, you do not know what you are talking about, quite frankly. And I want to say that officially that gain of function research was going on in that lab and NIH funded it that is you can't not get away from it and you are obfuscating the truth i'm Senator, not obfuscating the truth Senator- yes that was uh dr fauci verse rand paul don't kid yourself by reading the coverage this was a knockout it's just a matter of time until fauci falls to the canvas he can't handle what's about we're about to find out and that is the truth about what they were doing and what we're all finding out about this pandemic and how irresponsible the NIH, which he heads up, is. And joining me now is Adam Carolla. He's got the best podcast in the country. He's got a new book, I'm Your Emotional Support Animal, Navigating All, uh, all uh, Our All Woke, No Joke Culture. And he's also part of a special hosted by Dan Bongino, Cancelled in the USA. And you got his podcast. He's a busy guy. Uh, and he's a self-made man. Adam Carolla, welcome back. Thanks for having me back, Brian. Adam, right right away, we talked about you this morning on what you put up on your feed, on your Twitter feed. And that is, in California, this is true, if you steal shoplift under $1,000, you can't be prosecuted. You put video online that looks like we're in a third world nation. People just walking in, stealing stuff and walking out. Yeah, I mean, but you have to ask yourself, like, what do we expect? Like, if we tell people, here's what we're going to do in advance, whether it's in San Francisco or it's Los Angeles and it has to do with, the, you know, a Target or Walmart or at the border. If we just go, here's what we're going to do, here's what we're going to enforce, here's what we're not going to enforce, why wouldn't people just exploit that? I mean, isn't that a lesson we've learned if we tell people we're going to, you know, the cops are going to pull back. Well, then, if you're a bad guy, wouldn't you move forward? I, I, I don't think any of this should be surprising to anybody. It's, it's how humans work. It's how pets work. It's how kids work. <laughs> you, you know, if you said your kid, the, uh, you know, the curfew is 10 o'clock at night, but I'm never going to enforce that. I'm going to bed at 930. Would, wouldn't you expect a percentage of kids just to come back after curfew. But it doesn't make your video that you posted less shocking. It's just because I can't believe this is happening in this country. 
where uh, criminals are being rewarded or ignored and uh, people are basically fending for themselves. What I'm heartened by, Adam, is maybe last year since I last talked to you, there's backlash because the reality of defunding the police and defaming the police has resulted in crime running rampant. And people are now going saying, excuse me, can we hire cops again? We're now in Washington, D.C. They're saying, let's give them some overtime if they need it. We need to get our streets safe. They're not dare saying to fund the police that in many sane circles anymore. Are you heartened by that at all? I think we might have lost him. Yeah, we'll probably pull him back. Where he is in Los Angeles, too, which I also want to talk about because in Los Angeles, uh, I know because a member of my family was just out there and is coming back today, they're wearing masks again indoors. Doesn't matter if you're vaccinated or not. And if you also see the other big problem, they have a sheriff that says we're no longer going to enforce that mask mandate. So that's a little bit of an issue. So we'll work to get uh, we'll work to get uh, Adam back online. So uh, Adam is part of a special called Cancel the USA. We we'll talked to Dan Bongino tonight at seven o'clock about that on uh, Fox News primetime. So, uh, Adam, I was just heartened by the fact that you see some backlash. People starting to appreciate cops a little bit. Are you seeing that all in Los Angeles right now? Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, if you go too far in one direction, there's going to be a backlash. I don't know why we have to go too far in one direction in order to learn our lesson every time. But once we go too far in one direction, then there's some pushback. And all the politicians do is lick their finger and figure out which way the wind is blowing. So a year ago, the wind was blowing toward defunding the police. So the coward politician said, oh, okay, that's which way the wind is blowing. We'll defund the police. That's what that's what people are saying. Now they're licking their finger. They're putting it in the air and they're realizing the wind has changed direction. And so now magically the politicians who wanted to defund the police are saying, we never wanted to defund the police. They're saying it with a straight face as if it happened 100 years ago versus six months ago. And a lot of them are changing course. Uh, so, Adam, uh, you know, your your book comes out and you talk about being fearless. You're basically in your own business. You're not really depending on people, just listeners and viewers and, and people to pay, pay tickets and watch you do stand-up. Are you uncancelable? Um, I don't know if anyone is un. You can always be canceled with your own audience. You know, if you started saying things that were insane to your audience, then you could cancel yourself with your audience. But in terms of how we classically think of being canceled, we think of a parent corporation, a a network or a studio pulling the plug. Uh, in from that regard, I'm uncancelable, and I saw this stuff coming ten years ago. So I started diverse diversifying my portfolio because I had this feeling that this is the way the wind was blowing, and especially you, in Hollywood, right? Uh, where people really corporations can't stand by you, or they choose not to stand by you. So you said, "I'm going to do this thing called podcasting." Now everyone feels as though. They're capable of doing something, and, and you were the first to break out, and you still remain on top. So why did you why was it important or okay with you to participate in this special on, on Fox Nation? Well, anytime someone wants me to you know raise my voice about cancel culture, I'm more than happy to do it because it's something that's near and dear to my heart. So I, I work in Hollywood. I've seen it happen to a lot of 
people I've worked with. I've, you know, I, I know all the stories you know, but if you live and work in Hollywood, you live in the epicenter of cancel culture. The, the people that make the most noise about McCarthyism are practicing a <laughs> latter-day version <laughs> of McCarthyism as we speak. I still don't know why you're there, why you haven't pulled the Joe Rogan and pulled up stakes. Uh, but, Adam, I, I got to bring up to a, a cut from that special. Uh, Gilbert Godfrey, you know him. You do stand up uh, as well. He sure. has done for years. Listen to him. When I hear about another person getting in trouble now, I always think, oh, thank God them and not me. Because I've been through it a few times. Gilbert Godfrey, the voice of Aladdin's irritating bird, Iago, has made a career out of offending his audience That's why for years. He voiced the screechy Aflac duck. Aflac. In the immediate aftermath of a tsunami, Gilbert took to Twitter to share his usual offensive comedy. Japan is really advanced. They don't go to the beach, the beach comes to them. After that, Godfrey became, he claims, one of the first entertainers to feel the speed and force of an online cancellation mob. So that's a typical edgy comedian comment. They thought insensitive. He was canceled, lost a bunch of gigs. It's scary, right? I did the, yes. And, you know, Gilbert's a, an equal opportunity offender. I, I did the Hugh Hefner roast on Comedy Central with Gilbert literally 10 days after 9-11 in New York City, and he was making 9-11 jokes. Now, you can say... Oh, I, that doesn't sit well with me, or I don't like the taste that leaves in my mouth. But that's what he does. Yep. He takes tragedy and he makes jokes about it. And traditionally, that's what comedians do. Uh, I don't get why we're trying to go after comedians. I mean, you know, <laughs> school principals and airline pilots, maybe. Uh, but comedians. Comedians make jokes and they make people uncomfortable. And sometimes when you're uncomfortable, you do the most thinking. So I think comedians are supposed to make you uncomfortable. And that's where the thinking and the conversation takes place. You were able to do something else, but and, and but besides going on stage, have you noticed comedians uh, checking themselves on stage? Do, when you talk to these guys and the women that, that do stand up, when you guys, before you go on, are you you saying, I'm getting rid of this, I have to get rid of this material, I, I can't afford to be canceled, I can't get a club owner telling me I can't book you anymore? Yeah, yeah, I had a, it, it's true. Uh, I've, I've seen it happen. I, I think it's the, the, it's the death of creativity, whether you're telling a joke, writing a song or, or painting a painting, you don't want the artist to stop and think, what are people going to think of this painting when I'm done? Or what are they going to think of this song when I'm done? Or this joke, like, how am I going to be judged for this? So the worst place you can be creatively is up in your head. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just imagine you're at a dinner party and you have something to say, and maybe it's something funny or witty or interesting. And right before you say it, you think, how's this going to go over? Am I going to be asked to leave this dinner party? Is this, is this going to be good? Will I be able to finish my entree? And at a certain point, you think, screw it. I'm not even going to say what I was going to say, which is kind of the point we're getting to now, which, of course, just stifles creativity and it stifles conversation. Yeah, the one guy that doesn't get stifled much is you. And lastly, I know I'm putting you in an odd spot because every late night host is a friend of yours. 
But there was a column in the New York Times, Who Broke Stephen Colbert, after Jon Stewart went out and said the Wuhan lab, of course it came from the Wuhan lab. Stephen Colbert got so upset he actually tried to stop, according to the writer, and what I saw, I agree, Jon Stewart from going forward. And we know they're best friends. So I want you to hear, he wrote, who broke Stephen Colbert and who really broke late night TV? They're not laughing anymore. They're now clapping. What happened to the equal opportunity offender late night host? Here's what the writer said. Mainstream comedy has evolved, especially when it comes to public affairs, from becoming liberal to becoming party line. Do you find, Do you agree with that? When you watch late night television, is it party line? <clears throat> yeah, well, I'll tell you what's going on. If you... If you host a late night show, you're involved with a late night show. The biggest important subject you have is bookings. Are you going to get George Clooney on your show or are you going to get Scott Bale on your show? It's all about bookings, right? So think about the politics of some of the biggest actors and biggest stars. You know, you want Hillary Clinton. You want the, the royal family. You want Prince Harry. You know, you want... Ben Affleck. Uh, you, 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 yeah, you and Affleck. You, you want Barbara Streisand. Well, if you want those people, and you, imagine just getting up there and going, I, I voted for Donald Trump. I like his policies. You would never book another one of those celebrities ever again. I agree with everything you said. I'm just saying that for the, that was the case forever, I thought, where Carson would not worry about it. He, Reagan was his friend. He'd insult him. He made fun of Jimmy Carter, and he still got the best bookings. And he was going against Joey Bishop, and he was going against Merv Griffin for a while and Dick Cavett, and they still were able to exist and be funny. Right. Well, obviously, that was pre, you know, that's back when everyone was an American first and a politician second. You know what I mean? That's where you were an American first and a Democrat second or an American first and a Republican second. And now everyone's political affiliation is first and the American may not be in the top five. So now that things have shifted and again, you're trying to book A-list talent. Why would you even take the chance of going down that road if it could impact your bookings to e- even 10%? It's hard. You kind of sold your comedy soul to get that show, I guess. Adam Carolla has not. He's a host of the Adam Carolla podcast. He's going to be on Canceled in the USA with Dan Bongino. And Adam Carolla's uh, book is I'm Your Emotional Support Animal, Navigating All Our All-Woke No-Joke Culture. Adam, always great to talk to you. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. All right. Go get him. Uh, Back with Martha McCallum in just a moment. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back. Got a couple of minutes with Martha McCallum. Martha, you're excited to do your show at three. Can you still focus on being on our show? I believe I can. can? I believe I can. And I believe there might even be more to know from being here. (laughs) And that that will be beneficial in the long run. For you. 
Yeah, for me. Because it, it, it widens your swath exactly. of possible things on your show. Exactly. So, yeah, we've got a couple of minutes here. Adam Carolla just talked about uh, why late-night television is just uh, is party-centric. Mm. What happened to the bipartisanship on late-night? He said it's all about bookings. Do you agree with that? I do. You know what? I, I loved like, like I loved Johnny Carson, right? I mean, you never knew where Johnny Carson stood on anything, and he was universally funny to everybody. He also had a self-deprecating yeah. uh, nature that it was humbling. We see absolutely zero of that, and I, I think it's really sad. I, I really do think it's sad. If anything, America needs a place to go where you can feel like there's some sort of neutrality, and it's a safe place for everybody to have fun and to make fun of the things that we all can sort of you know commonly make fun of. Um, I, I have no problem with people pushing buttons, but the fact that it's so one-sided is um, is problematic. It really is. Did you read the story, and I know you know him, who broke Stephen Colbert? No, I didn't. In the New oh. York Times. Yeah, I think I read, I read a bit of that, yeah. Yeah, it was the National Review? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it just said, basically, they, the writer almost feels bad for him. He said he can't even possibly go against doctrine, democratic doctrine. It's 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 a tough position, uh, I think, that a lot of them find themselves in. I also think it's so fascinating to me. I think the person who completely changed the narrative on the Wuhan virus and the fact that it may have come from the lab was John Stewart. John Stewart <laughs> went on Stephen Colbert's show and said, what are you kidding me? Like, we have to look at the lab. It's literally right down the street from the wet market. And suddenly you had all of this slow roll opening to the idea that, well, maybe it did come from the lab. But everybody from Dr. Fauci, Dr. Collins, well, we're open to that now. Thank you, John Stewart. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Fox tries to pass off their anti-vax segments as being about freedom. Take Fox and Friend and contestant on Jeopardy realizing he spelled his own name wrong. Brian Kilmeade. On Monday, Kilmeade defended unvaccinated people who want to defy mask mandates. If you didn't get a vaccination, that's your choice. And if you did, like I did and, and they did, and maybe you did, then you should not wear a mask. And if you didn't, if you want to go cliff diving this weekend, you don't have to check with me. It seems a little dangerous, but I'm not going to judge you. And if you go ahead and put yourself in danger, if you feel as though this is not something for you, don't do it. But don't affect my life. 99% of the people who are dying from COVID are unvaccinated. That's their choice. So the brown-haired guy believes that being unvaccinated and maskless is the same as being a thrill seeker who jumps off of cliffs. Well, that analogy does work if you first strap that cliff jumper to a group of old people. I don't even know. (laughs) I'm listening to the brown haired guy. Right. So uh, I know you put an awkward spot, but I mean, for that to be a late night joke, I don't even understand it. And it's something that you would see on a news show. And that's on. I think CNN did 20 minutes on it the other day. And. Uh, they did something on Laura Ingram for an hour, and did Sean Hannity mean it when he said that? Does it surprise you that these networks are obsessed with what we think? Well, I, you know, Should I be you. giving medical advice to people? No, of course you shouldn't be giving medical advice to people. The thing that, that really strikes me when you sort of take a step back on all of this, right, is that you look at the vaccine process, the process of, of getting this vaccine in the, in the first place, which is something that I think there was, you know, a lot of understandable um, enthusiasm for, 
across this network, you know, we were uh, hoping, like I think most Americans were hoping, that there would be a vaccine that would come in a timely manner. We were told there's no way. It's going to take three or four years to get a vaccine. It's going to, you know, really be a long process. And if it comes really soon, there's going to likely there could possibly be something wrong with it. It was, you know, they they said that the president, uh, President Trump was pushing this through, that he was putting pressure on people at the CDC, putting pressure on people at the uh, pharmaceutical companies to get it through. So then they they get it through, right? And they they test it and they decide to give it um, emergency authorization through the FDA. And now suddenly, you know, there's this this all in, right, by an enormous part of the media that, OK, now everybody, everyone should get it. And if you don't get it, there's something wrong with you. There's something sick about you. Um, you know, the, the fact of the matter Especially is. Especially when we have Kamala Harris on the record. If Donald Trump gave me this vaccine, I would not She said she wouldn't it. trust it. You know, and that really, that also laid down a lot of foundation of that people being concerned about it. That eliminates you from actually judging anybody. It, it you know, I, I think that that's a very fair point. Um, the fact of the matter is that, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, just be I, I'm I'm vaccinated. My husband's vaccinated. I wanted to get it. Excuse me. <coughs> I wanted to get it as soon as I possibly could. I find it really liberating. And I think it's a really good idea for most people. However, every person has a different health makeup. And considerations that they have to put in. And I don't think that it should be mandatory. I mean, I talked to Randy Weingarten, you know, a couple months back and said, are they going to make it mandatory for school children? And she said, no. Now, I don't know if the tune's going to change on that now that we're getting closer to going back to school again. And I, I don't know. I, I can easily see this materializing into something that is going to prevent kids from going back to school again with this Delta virus, um, Delta variant. Well, but, I love what the New York Post said about the Delta variant. They said, hey, Relax. The cases are up, but the debts right. and hospitalizations are down. Yes. So we're beating it. It's called living with it. Number two is, I don't know what's worse. People say, well, we're going to get the kids back at school. Okay, what distance? What plexiglass? How long? Number two is, uh, I don't want a two-year-old in up wearing a mask. They don't even bring up the child psychologist who knows that kids can't see fear. They can't see shame. They can't see happiness, sadness for over a year now. So are you going to retard their emotional wealth because you think you have a hunch that two and up can carry the virus when nothing statistically says they will? In fact, uh, Marty McCurry, uh just to play, uh, play into that for a second, said the same thing to me yesterday. On top of that, Rand Paul said this last night, cut eight. There's no science to have kids in masks. No kids should be wearing masks in America at this point. The death rate is less than the seasonal flu for children. Uh, We should treat it like the seasonal flu for children, and we should treat it like the serious illness that it is for those who are older, particularly over 65. It really is case closed. And the thing is, you have not spent the money to study kids, how much they've gotten it. Statistically, it's zero. And then Morty McCurry also said yesterday that the Johns Hopkins did a study. They have $80 billion in NIH, $40 billions given to grants, $41 billions left, and only 0.04% is spent on COVID research. Are you crazy? Which is incredible. And I had a conversation with him about this as well. One of the things that is the most undiscussed element of all of this is what is the impact of someone who has antibodies from having had COVID? Nobody How long are they protected? Right. Um, one study from the Cleveland Clinic shows at least 10 months. Right. You know, this is an issue that and the Cleveland Clinic also did a study. Fifty five thousand people in the Cleveland Clinic. They tested people who had covid 
and they tested people who hadn't had COVID. And then they tested people who were vaccinated and, and not vaccinated. Basically, the most vulnerable population of all was someone who had never had COVID and didn't get vaccinated. That's a mistake, right? That, that's somebody who needs some protection from, from a vaccine. The people who had COVID but didn't get vaccinated were as protected as the people who who hadn't had it and got vaccinated. So let me ask you this. this and, is a, and we need more data on this. We need to understand this better. And why isn't the CDC spending their money and time and the 30,000 people that work there helping us figure out the power of these antibodies versus the vaccine? This is a huge issue, especially for young people. Uh, that is a great point. And they're not interested. They're not interested. No. For example, the, I know you have to show up and make an appointment to get a test. I know if I have to get a rapid test or another test, I know where to go. Why don't I know where to go to get an antibody test? Exactly. Why Why don't I know where to go? Why don't you want me? Why is that never figured into herd immunity or how many people are vaccinated? Every day on the New York Times, 50% of the country's got double shots, 18 and up. Okay, 60%, 18 and up. One has one. Okay. Why don't I see how many infected have antibodies roughly that we could say conservatively six months? And the point of the Cleveland Clinic study was that they said, look, we have so many countries around the world where they have no vaccines at all. Give it to so them. The people like Japan, who have, where the Olympics yes, is. The people who have the antibodies, at least they said, you know, we're not saying they should never get vaccinated. They should probably get vaccinated eventually. That would probably be a good idea for them, says the Cleveland Clinic, not me. Um, but they said, let's get this vaccine one shot as much as we can all around the world. That might have prevented this Delta variant if we had better antibody testing in this country. But you know what, Brian? I, some, I guess people can't make enough money off of antibody testing. Um, that would be that one it? of my guesses, uh, you know, the, and, you know, just just the value of having had the, the virus. It's, you know, the, you, a lot of people got sick from it, obviously, um, but then they had antibodies and some people didn't even feel sick and have antibodies. And we just need to know more about it. That's all I'm saying. Did you talk to a lot of people that gotten vaccinated who had it before and got really sick? I have and heard om- that anecdotally. Yes, yeah. I have. Yeah. I would love to find out that. Because a lot of people got the shot. They never even knew they had it, and they end up bent down on their back for two days. And they're trying to figure out. And I, before I got I got the Pfizer shot, before I went, I'm like saying to myself, can I, if this is really bad, can I be off tomorrow? Do I, and I had to schedule it for a Friday because, I, you know, I, you and right. I, I'd rather not miss a day. Exactly. And, and, I, and, and I asked the people there, I go, I heard if you switch arms, it'll be better. And she laughed. Yeah. She goes, oh, that's not that's yeah. true. But no, I, she I goes, think, I've heard I think that. that's a, it's a very good point. And the other thing that I've heard from several doctors um, is that, you know, if you've had COVID, maybe one shot is the best combination for you. Why aren't we doing more tests on the value of one shot in people who had COVID before? These are things that would be helpful to know. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I'd like to have better studies done on this. There's this really interesting Cleveland clinic one which i encourage people to read it's only one study i don't know if it's definitive but this is what we need to know i'll ask you i'll ask this question to me tell me what your curiosity level is why haven't we heard more about regeneron why haven't we heard about therapeutics we hear the hydroxychloroquine was prematurely sidelined and we hear that the study shows that is effective why aren't we hearing more about success stories that happen you walk out with the antibodies and you walk out of a hospital why aren't we hearing about that? If I made Regeneron for a living or I invested in the company yeah. that made it, the name eludes me at this moment, I would be pushing that. I could save them once they're sick. Right. Or There's also I, monoclonal antibodies. That I think it's Eli Lilly. Why don't you we know? hear more about that? I, I've, I wondered this when we, we were, were having such a hard time beating this thing, you know, in like 
early January when the vaccines were just rolling out and the numbers were not good. Why I kept asking this. Why aren't we hearing more about these treatments that were these breakthrough treatments? We know for a fact individuals who responded extremely well to them, including the president. So I don't understand why they weren't in. in are they really they're really expensive, I think, for one thing. Um, but I think, you know, doctors weren't recommending them enough. It's it's a really great question. It's a really great question. When we come back, uh, Martha will exclusively tell us what's on her show. Did you say it already? No, you haven't. No, you sold it to me in the break. I did. So I had an exclusive story, and I didn't report it, which is bad <laughs> on my part. That's a tease. Right. Uh, fantastic. It is a tease. And Martha will do that. Her show starts at uh, 3 o'clock today. And we'll also find out maybe if it is indeed the case that Martha needs to know more. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. There's, there's a chance that this was created in a lab. There's an investigation. A chance? Well, but I'm, I, so, I, 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 oh my if God. there's evidence, I'd love to hear it. There's I don't a know. novel respiratory coronavirus overtaking Wuhan, China. What do we do? Oh, you know who we could ask? The Wuhan novel respiratory coronavirus lab. The disease is the same name as the lab. How did this happen? And they're like, mm, a pangolin kissed a turtle. <laughs> the only coronavirus we have is in Wuhan. Yes. Where they have a lab called, what's the lab called again, Stephen? The Wuhan what? Novel Coronavirus Lab. I believe that's uh-huh. the case. And now, how long have you worked for Senator Ron Johnson? Let me tell you something. So he is almost panicking, and that's the premise of the story. He's almost panicking that John Stewart's going against doctrine. We're not supposed to blow up the lab. That's the crazy Donald Trump followers. Martha McCallum here. Well, that's why I, I showed that clip on my show yesterday because I do think it was a turning point. I think that John Stewart um, was looking at it in you know just a pretty honest manner that a lot of people had also you know every day like, for you know, a I year. Mean, Tom Cotton, for example, said it on day one. He's I remember people looking at Tom Cotton like he was absolutely out of his mind. Right? He's like, well, down the street from the wet market is the Wuhan Institute of Virology, where the military has a presence. Right? But when he said that, it was like blocked on social media. It was called a conspiracy theory a debunked conspiracy theory, right? Right. But then John Stewart comes out and says it, and I, I just, I give him credit because I think he was, you know, speaking just logically right. in his mind by, of his assessment of, of what did and didn't make sense, at least in terms of what needed to be deeply investigated. And uh, I think it was a turning point. I think then after that, you started to hear more pressure on Fauci and Collins and questions asked to them, and you started to hear more um, from people who were part of that State Department investigation and Dr. Stephen Quay and other people who said, you know what, when we looked at that, the the breakdown of this, the makeup of this virus, it looked a lot more like the viruses that were created in, in labs and a lot less like the, the viruses that we see transmitted naturally. And they, and we, yeah, we see those stories come out and then we see the, the scientists working at the lab that ended up getting what seems to be the virus in the Wall yeah. Street Journal. That story came out and that's kind of interesting. And then we find out that Peter Danzig's been removed from that, uh, uh, from that uh, group. So, mm-hmm. and he was the one saying, it's not the lab, it's not the lab, it's not the lab, and even said it on 60 Minutes. Yeah. Do you realize John Stewart had more power than 60 Minutes? Yeah, Leslie Stoll so. was, was flabbergasted about this whole story, was glistening to Jamie Metzl, who's a common guest now yeah. on this show. So, having said all that, that spurred this National Review story about late night television, Stephen Colbert in particular. And then I had this reporter on, and I thought he did a, uh, I thought he did a great job breaking down what happened on late night television. 
before Stewart and The Daily Show, mainstream network comedy basically joked about whatever was happening. They would tell jokes about Republican presidents. They would tell jokes about Democratic presidents. Stewart with The Daily Show, he's basically a liberal guy. So his Daily Show, which got a lot of play, it mostly came from a liberal perspective. It mostly made fun of Republicans. And Fox. Uh, or conservatives. But at the same time, Stuart was a liberal guy, but if he saw his own side screwing up, or if he saw something that was absurd, he would make a joke about it. But over time, mainstream comedy has evolved, especially when it comes to public affairs, from becoming liberal to becoming party line. And I agree with that. I do John too. Stewart, but the reason why I watched because he would go and say the that's exactly That's exactly my thought. Um, I, I think that one of the best things about comedy or people who are sort of observing the social and political condition in America is when they're totally unpredictable. That's what makes it really interesting. And that's what I think, unfortunately, um, we've lost a lot of uh, across the board in, in some of these shows. You know, what, what you want is also the ability to sort of laugh at, like, all of us all together, of us. right? And, you know, we it, 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 it provides something, I think, that is a great relief for the country. Uh, and it also, it also recognizes that we are more similar than, than different in this country. And there's so many common things. That's the genius of, of Jerry Seinfeld for example, that he just sort of like helps us relate to the things that we all we all laugh about in ourselves and the common humanity that we that we can poke fun at. Uh, and who's on your show today? Well, I'm going to talk to Rand Paul today um, about his run-in with Dr. Fauci. We've followed this pretty closely over the course of their uh, interactions. And um, I, I think that it's, I think these are questions that absolutely need to be asked. I know Dr. Fauci felt very affronted in this moment. And Rand Paul is no shrinking violet. There's no doubt about it. So we're going to see where he's going to take it from here when we talk to him at 3 o'clock. Oh, that'll be good. Find out now if there's more to know. More to know. Eric Swalwell spent thousands of his campaign dollars on booze and limo services. Campaign dollars. There's also pictures of him shirtless in uh, UAE during the pandemic. What's this guy (laughs) thinking, Martha McCallum? You know, I've always said, I mean, I would never give any money to a campaign because I'm a reporter. But um, I... I don't understand why anybody does, because this is the kind of stuff that happens. Honestly, it's like, and they say, "Oh, well, there's, there's nothing nefarious about his expenditures. This is okay what he did." But, you know, I mean, if you're going to give money to a campaign, your hard-earned money, I would suggest you take a look at this. Well, I guess so. You know, I once bought a Trump ornament for a big Trump fan on Christmas. Mm-hmm. I got written up in the Washington Post for giving a giving a campaign donation. I did not even know it was a Trump site. That's a big deal. Why is this not a big deal? Plus, he was dating a Chinese spy. Oh, but we're not. Yeah, that you're not allowed to talk about that. Oh, that story about, disappeared. Didn't problem. you hear about Are we that? Live? I tried Allison, so hard you, to get him to come on out? and talk and do an actual interview on that topic because um, he used to come on my show a lot. But um, I guess he didn't want to answer any questions about that. Next, I watched this. Did you watch this? It looks as though the Milwaukee Bucks are our champions for the first time since 1971. Uh, 50 points by Giannis. I think this guy is fantastic. Uh, and I love that Milwaukee won. He didn't demand a trade. The Midwest finally gets some respect. Good for the Bucks. Next, World Cup, excuse me, Olympics. Yes. The U.S. national team, women's team, lost 3 nothing to Sweden. Their greatest loss in, in ever, perhaps. Mm. I'm add something to that. According to stills they were allowed to see from Japan, both sides took a knee during the national anthem. Yeah, that's sad. That that's um that is very sad. I don't what know what's going on. What a terrible start! I, Are they telling I mean, America not to watch? I, I, I mean, and look at what's happening in 
our cities in this country, right? So exactly, I'd love for them to exactly define for me what it is that they are taking the knee for in these in these Olympics. I, I, I just find it absolutely heartbreaking. I mean, I have no problem with people protesting and speaking their mind. But, you know, the whole point of the Olympics, I mean, didn't you learn this in grade school? It's like that, you know, Athens and Sparta put aside their differences and got together and, you know, and, and represented their their countries and their athletics and it's just it's supposed to be a time to put that aside but that was before we had video and stuff or else i'd watch that instead <laughs> they, you think they were taking a knee too yeah they the might Spartans. have been martha we don't know i am spartacus yes that is true <laughs> i'm not sure if he said that during the olympics but watch martha at three and i'll be on at seven uh back in a moment not really from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.